welcome to the Old Soul Movie Podcast, your number one spot for classic movie rewatches and breakdowns. My name is Jack Oremus, and I'm here with my sister, Emma Oremus. We decided that we wanted to make a show that reflected our love and appreciation for classic movies. And while you're here, hopefully we can share that together as an Old Soul family. We're going to be diving into these movies scene by scene and giving our modern reactions to the films that have influenced generations of people. There will be fun facts, hot takes, tears, laughter, and everything in between. And with that being said, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. Snuggle in. Grab your tea. The snow is falling, and we have a murder on our hands. Emma, what's going on? Not much. Just very excited for this. I've got my tea, my blankie, fire roaring. I am excited. When we were deciding what movie to do, I felt like you were very intense on doing this one. <laughs> you know what? Like... We have we have movies in mind always. And then this one just popped into my head and I thought, this is a great, you know, seasonal flick. I always like to watch it around this time of year. Good mystery, not too holidayish, but like wintry, so it's it's a good one. And it's like so many stars. Just so many stars in this one. It's insane. Yeah, the cast is unreal. We're definitely going to be spending a lot of time talking about all the stars, all, all the people that are involved in this movie. And we didn't even say what it was. But if you clicked on it, you already know. We're talking about Murder on the Orient Express. Wah! Not the one with so Johnny that- Depp, <laughs> but the one from 1974. Yes, the original Murder on the Orient Express. And I do have a confession to make, a rather embarrassing one for myself. Oh, no. What is it? I actually, this is, I think this is the only story in which I watched the remake before I watched the original rendition. Really? Yes. I watched this one directly after. I had been aware of this one, of course, but when the new trailer came out, for the new version. I kind of wanted to save it because to me it looks so good. I thought, oh, this is exactly my cup of tea. It looks really good. Another all-star cast. And so I kind of took myself out on a date and I went to go see it and I wanted to be surprised. Um, <laughs> and then and then I watched this one. So when I did watch the old version, the original version, the 1974 one, I had already known what the end result would be right yeah um and it's it's interesting yeah no for me this was my first time watching either one so i watched it twice uh my first watch through obviously i i wasn't taking notes i was just watching it for for the funsies and i was just trying to figure out the whole time i don't usually read or watch many mystery oh and i love i love the mysteries (laughs) yeah so so for me it was pretty fun my mind doesn't naturally go in that way so so figuring it out for me was was a ton of fun and And this was a tough nut to crack it was a very tough nut to crack honestly the way that we might talk about it it can get very confusing there's a lot of characters involved yes so definitely characters 
I would almost recommend you definitely watch the movie first. Definitely watch the movie first. Um, and we are, again, talking about the 1974 one. If you watch the one with Johnny Depp and Kenneth Branagh, you will be very confused. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so w- w- are the plots different? In those two? You know what? No, they're very similar, of course. I mean, it's a murder on a train. It's And then um, we have the same victim. Everything is really, really similar. There are a couple differences. Um, for example, the Greta Olsen character is changed into a different character played by Penelope Cruz. Oh. So she comes from a different ethnic background. We have... There are um, a couple, like... Actiony things that were a little strange. Um, a couple just, um, and I and I'll go. I'll actually point out differences off the top of my head as we go along. It's actually been a minute since I have seen the new one because I actually do have a preference for this one. So anyway, yeah. So that being said, I'll go through the differences that stood out to me as we'll talk through it. But for the most part, they're pretty much the same. There's some different stylistic choices and where they shoot things and how they shoot things. Some of the characterizations are a little different. I actually will say I do have a preference for how some of the characters were written in the new one. Uh, most notably, Mrs. Debenham. Oh, my gosh. I totally butchered that. Why did I just say that? Debenham? Miss Debenham. Yeah. I preferred how they wrote her, I think, in the newer one. She just seems a little more prominent. And then I also have a slight preference for how they wrote Princess Dragomiroff in the newer one. Um, what else? What else? Those are kind of the standout ones to me for the newer one. The other thing, this is actually another kind of an interesting point, and I have I have two conflicting sides of it. So again, in comparison of the newer one and the older one. I actually did prefer the first 20 minutes or 30 minutes of the newer one compared to the older one. I like the exposition and I like the setup a little bit better mm-hmm. uh, because they kind of show how Detective Pierrot was this kind of zany genius to me a little bit better in the newer one. And then I liked just kind of the setup of the murder and I thought that I could identify the characters a little bit better in the newer one off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, however, that being said, once the murder of the victim happens in both films, I immediately take over preference for the 1974 version. I much prefer how they went about the interrogations yeah. and based the overall film. Yeah, because Poirot, <laughs> to me, in the new one, when I was first watching it, he was like Mr. Bean to me, kind of. I was <laughs> like, who is this man? Like. I, I, I had no funny. idea who he was. In the newer but... one, I get like Jacques Clouseau vibes. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> but like much more intelligent. Jacques Clouseau. <laughs> Pink Panther is one of my yeah, favorite movies so of all time. I, I, preferred, I preferred the setup of the newer one. However, I preferred the overall. I felt I thought it was a little bit more true to what Agatha Christie wanted out of Albert Finney's portrayal. I mean, I thought Kenneth Branagh actually did a great job as well. Just different yeah yeah but i mean i i really liked it i i was a little confused but as soon as the murder happened and then just the the wheel started turning i thought it was great i was enthralled i loved it um and it's free on amazon prime if you have amazon prime so 
go watch it. <laughs> Check no- it out. It's honestly, it's really good. And it's one that I've enjoyed. I've watched it a few times now, um, since in, in a couple years, but I actually liked it more and more every time I watch it, I get more and more, I don't know, excited for it. So it's a good one. And if you don't love it the first time around, I definitely recommend checking it out the second time around. Cause I think some mysteries, both novels and movies work like that in general, where you might be a little cloudy the first time, but once you maybe know the result, then mm-hmm. you can find enjoyment out of it in a different way, looking at who did what? Oh, it, it definitely made more sense for me the second time. Like I actually knew who the characters were. The biggest thing was almost the language barrier. There are so uh-huh. many different dialects spoken throughout that it's almost hard to just understand what they're saying. And it's like, are you saying their name or are you saying a word? Like I don't. Yeah. And it's a purposeful choice because it adds into the kind of frustration and confusion amongst yeah. each other and what Pierrot was trying to do. Mm-hmm. So it translates. It's a, it's experiential for the audience. Yeah. But overall, uh, great, great experience watching it. And yeah, so snuggle in, grab your tea and let's talk some facts about the, uh, about the movie. So it is a 1974 British mystery film directed by Sidney Lumet and, uh, it's produced by John Brayborn and Richard Goodwin. It is based on the 1934 novel of the same name by Agatha Christie. Uh, Pretty interesting fact about Agatha Christie, right? That she was pretty old when she went to the premiere. Yeah, she actually, uh, I think this was the last of the films she might have seen before she passed. Mm -hmm. And I think she died like, oh gosh, now a year later, 10 months later. Yeah, I think it was at least less than a year. But yeah, she she, she was 84. She was 84 at the time of the premiere. Um, it was the only adaptation in her lifetime that she was satisfied with. I, I did hear she was a fan of witness of the prosecution. However, I, this was like, this one took the cake. Mm-hmm. Murder mm-hmm. on the Orient Express was definitely her fave. Yeah. I, I liked how, um, <laughs> she was, she thought that Albert Finney was good. The, the man who plays detective Poirot, except for one thing. The mustache. The mustache. Uh, apparently he was supposed to have the, the finest mustache in all of England or I don't know, Europe. And you can see that, um, in the little quirks during the film where he's doing his bedtime routine and he's taking extra care of the mustache. And that's a trait in the newer, uh, that they chose to portray in the new version as well. The extra care to the mustache. Yeah. The, the bedtime routine was bomb. Stellar. Loved it. Uh, but yeah, her attending the premiere was the last uh, public appearance that she had. And she was also exp- inspired by a real Orient Express incident that had apparently happened in 1929 when an actual engine got stuck. Yes, the movie and the book focus on the Simplin line for the for the Orient Express, which is between Istanbul to Paris. Um, in real life, the westward, ba- westward bound train also got stuck in the snows for five days. So pretty interesting. Also inspired by a famous tragic, tragic, tragic event of the Lindbergh Lindbergh baby kidnapping. Very, very tough. And I can give a little background on the kidnapping because I think it'll help see why it translates to screen or how it kind of connects with the story. So for those of you that maybe not be as familiar, 
The famous aviator Charles Lindbergh's baby son was kidnapped March 1st in 1932. So someone had actually constructed a kind of special ladder and entered the baby's room and abducted him. And then he was found months later. Um, however, in the meantime, ransom was requested. They paid the ransom and they tr- they tracked down or they wrote down the serial numbers so that ransom money could be tracked or discovered. Um, however, lots of problems. I mean, the, besides the death of the baby, um, a household worker named Violet Sharp came under suspicion and killed herself. Very much like the situation in the film. Um, and then in real life, they did track down ransom money below, or in someone's possession. And they did end up arresting and charging that individual. And he was found guilty and um, received the death penalty. But that individual claims that it was actually not him. And he was given the ransom money for a business deal by another individual who had already went back to Europe and passed away. So it's still actually a kind of a controversial case, but one that affected the lives of many and one that so much inspired Agatha Christie to be made into this story. And okay, I really don't want to spoil a totally random movie, so I won't give details, but we'll see if people can use some reasoning and try to figure out what I'm talking about. There was a movie that came out this year and that was also inspired by a tragic event that happened in Hollywood. And the movie then does an alternate ending to kind of give justice for, I don't know, what really happened. Yes. I kind of see this movie and this book in a similar fashion where this kind of gives justice to the tragedy that actually happened. I I did not see that movie, but I know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Didn't want to make it too obvious, but also didn't want people to be totally confused. Yeah, yeah. No, you did a good job. You did a good job. But yeah, super, super interesting backstory. Very cool how it mirrored real life events. Um, the screenplay was uh, adapted by Paul Den. Uh, it had a budget of $1.4 million, which is like nothing. I don't know if it was a lot back then, but. No, and you know what? Lumet was actually pretty well known for making the films under the budget he even got. Yeah. Very cool. And I mean, they had very limited, I guess, costumes they had to worry about and yeah. sets not, and all not that. Not a whole lot of set changes and not a yeah. whole lot of costume changes. Yeah. So pretty easy for them. Uh, but yeah, it grossed 35. But that is a big salary you're giving to a lot of stars there. That is. Yeah. So, uh, that, <laughs> most, of, most of that has to go to the cast. Um, yeah. yeah. But it grossed $35.7 million at the box office. The runtime was 131 minutes. And it features a huge, star-studded cast. Emma, give me the rundown. On oh this. my gosh, where does one even begin? Well, we have Albert Finney as Hercule Poirot. Poirot. Forgive me if I butcher his name as we go along. So did Mr. Ratchet. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to put him a little above him, but anyway. <laughs> Um, Albert Finney, amazing, incredible. This guy, he actually passed away earlier this year. Very sad. RIP. But what a career he had. He was in so many films. Um, For people that might not be familiar with his work, he was also Daddy Warbucks and Annie. And he was also the older Edward Bloom in Big Fish. 
So this guy really had kind of an expansive, lots of different characters that he played. So talented. Um, great job to him. Lauren Bacall, the lovely oh. soldier Bacall as Mrs. Hubbard. Oh my God, so fine. If you if you yeah. don't know who Lauren Bacall is, Google her right now and look or look up young Lauren Bacall. Fifteen plus million Instagram followers today. Easily. <laughs> Yeah, amazing. I mean, one of Humphrey Bogart's leading ladies. They also became husband and wife in real life. And very just talented actress. She's amazing. She's a spitfire in this. Yes. Uh, Martin Balsam as Bianchi. And for those of you that don't know what he's from, he is our dear Arbogast from Psycho. And he was O.J. Berman in Breakfast at Tiffany's. If, yes. you, if you follow us and you watch all the movies that we're talking about, you will recognize him in something we already covered. Yes. Amazing. And not just him, but Ingrid Bergman. What? Ingrid Bergman from the a famous Casablanca, another um, woman paired with Humphrey Bogart. Incredible, though. I mean, her and Lauren Bacall, incredible on their own. Uh, wow. She's in this, too. Amazing job. She already had such a long, uh, very well done career. So awesome job to Ingrid Bergman in this. Oh, this was also an Academy winning performance from Ingrid Bergman too. Indeed it so was. Stay tuned for more info on that. Her portrayal as Greta Olsen, the Swede, the Swedish missionary. Um, we have Jacqueline Bisset as Countess Elena Andreni. Very nice. And then we have Jean-Pierre Cassel as Pierre. Pierre Paul Michel, uh, the conductor of the train, I would say. We have Sean Connery. the noble Sean Connery, James Bond, as Colonel Arbutnot. Yes, and this was the lure to get the rest of the cast on board. He was yeah. the first one cast. Um, good choice, good choice. That would get me... On a film, too. <laughs> we have John Gielgud as Edward Beddoes, uh, Ratchet's manservant, his English another, manservant. Yes. Another very long, prestigious career. Uh, Wendy Hiller as Princess Natalia Dragomirov. Yes, another one that survived the kind of transfer from the changing movie industry. We have the almost infamous, or not infamous, but the very well-known Anthony Perkins as Hector McQueen. Perfect casting, in my opinion. Excellent choice. Um, and he and Martin Balsam had worked together on Psycho. So a little bit of a matching there. Actually, a bunch of these actors had crossed paths many times. I can't even keep track. Yes, but, but uh, he played Norman Bates, for those unfamiliar with it. Uh, super, obviously, famous role. Uh, we have Vanessa Redgrave as Mary... Debenham? Debenham? Yes. Another very famous actress who had a very long career, had a very long career. Uh, Rachel Roberts as Hildegard Schmidt. Very sad. Very sad. Yeah. Very tragic, but very talented. Uh, Richard Widmark as Ratchet. Yes. Ratchet Man. What John a great Johnny Depp. <laughs> the Johnny Depp equivalent in the new one for those who have seen the new one. I would love to have just like transported Johnny Depp into this cast. <laughs> you know what? There, 
there were a couple of performances where I love, I would have loved to have done a mix and match to be honest. Yeah. Cause there were some in the new one that I was very fond of. Not that I wasn't fan. I really did like Richard uh, Widmark's performance, but I really did enjoy Johnny Depp's. Um, so who doesn't? He was like an evil guy very well. So that was good. Yeah. Um, uh, Michael yeah. York. Mm-hmm. Count Rudolph and Jenny. Uh, the very stylish, I would say. Very blonde. Hungarian. Mm-hmm. Very blonde. He's so young in this. It's mind blowing. And then uh, lastly, rounding out, I guess, the. Uh, the suspects, the main cast is Colin Blakely as Cyrus B. Hardman. Yep. And we also have, I, I didn't put this here, uh, but we also have Dennis Quilly as Antonio Foscarelli, the uh, yeah, Italian-American Italian. car salesman from Chicago, which, oh, wait, <laughs> I'm about to get into that later. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, awesome cast, awesome cast. I cannot believe that, Sir Alec Guinness was almost Poirot. Yes, he was their first choice, but he was um, attached to a different project and was unavailable. That being said, I mean, wow, to Albert Finney, because Alec Guinness would have been a great choice. Um, Just, you know, he has that kind of air about him. Nobility. Yes. Yeah. And um, for those of you who don't know who Sir Alec Guinness is, original Star Wars. Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. Kenobi. (laughs) (laughs) He he was almost our quirky detective. So it actually amazes me. It's to me, it's incredible. Albert Finney, who was, I think, 37 at the time of filming, 38 when the movie came out. Um, he was so young to play such a mature role. Right. Incredible. Um, so he did have a lot of makeup put on him while filming to age him up. But even with a lot of makeup, you still have to have a certain, you know, je ne sais quoi attitude about you. And he really delivered on this hardened, worldly detective, which I was beyond impressed at. I thought I remembered reading that. Uh, Lauren Bacall specifically took the role because she wanted to work with Albie. Yeah, Albert good old Albie. Good old Albie. Um, and then the Ingrid Bergman, Oscar acceptance. Lord, Lord have mercy. You want to talk about that? Yeah, it's nuts. She really didn't think she deserved the Oscar. She actually thought it should have gone to another Yes, Valentina Cortese Cortese, Cortese, for her performance in Day for Night, which a lot of people agree with Ingrid Bergman. But you know what? She she I think that doesn't take away from Ingrid Bergman's performance. She did a phenomenal job and was not originally intended for that role. Oddly enough, she was originally wanted for the role of Princess Dragomirov. Mm-hmm. But apparently she felt just connected to the role of Greta Olsen, right? Which, yeah, yeah, she did. And to me, it makes total sense. Um, and especially if you're the only Swedish person on the set and there's only one Swedish character. But then, you know, what I mean, like, I guess if I were an American in, I don't know, a foreign film, but they asked me to play someone of a different nationality 
and there was another part for an American that I fit, I think I'd be like, maybe I fit better with that. <laughs> I'll take that one. <laughs> but you know what? Um, yeah, so she was really drawn to the role and she killed it. Her instincts totally paid off because it won her an Oscar Oof. and treated us to a very special performance. She, very short but sweet. She schmurted it. Pardon the pun, murder on the Orient Express. But uh but yeah, I thought it was pretty funny that she had to get a dialect coach um to get back her Swedish accent. Swedish accent. <laughs> right. She'd been she'd been working in Hollywood for so long. Well, yeah, we forget that, you know, during Casablanca she was you know, a little younger, a little early in her earlier in her career, and then by the time this came out, this is years and years later. She had already been in so many films and traveled the world, done, worked with a lot of people, and kind of acclimated a little bit more accent-wise. So she had to get back the accent, which is kind of a crucial part of this character's story. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that would low-key be such a great back-to-back -back movie night. Oh, Casablanca and then this just watch oh that'd be so good but uh but yeah while we're kind of talking about the Academy Awards at the uh at the 47th Academy Awards it had six nominations best actor for Albert Finney best supporting actress for Ingrid Bergman that she won uh best adapted screenplay best cinematography best costume design and best original score that's a lot of noms that is a, no a lot of noms nom 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 uh but yeah uh for those of you who do not know what this film is about it is about the belgian detective hercule <laughs> hercule hercule perot uh is riding the orient express from turkey to london when an unpopular billionaire is murdered well i mean he's a ratchets of you know businessman and right. um yeah so he's murdered and the car, so each of the cars are locked at night, so it could only be the other passengers or the conductor of this one car. Right. And so Poirot takes the case uh, when the train is stopped by heavy snow and must figure out which of the passengers aboard killed him. Dun, dun, dun. Wow. How fun. Yes. You know, I, there is nothing I love more than a train mystery. Love it. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 91% tomato meter score from 34 film critics and a 79% from 20,792 audience scores. Uh, on IMDb, it has a 7.3 out of 10 from over 50,943 ratings. And it was fire from yours truly. And <laughs> Big uh, fan. Yeah. Fan. I'm a fan as well. I really pushed for this one. This is, I think this is one that's overlooked actually a lot. I mean, myself included, since I only watched it after the new one came out. Mm. But it's one that I totally recommend for people to check out. If you haven't seen the movie and you're trying to figure it out with us, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be possible for you. I recommend right. <laughs> checking it out first. I think it'll just be confused. There's so many names in this so many people and that's i actually will say one thing i admired about the newer version as well is there's a little bit more of racial diversity there are a lot of different ethnic backgrounds in this film as well however we get like a little bit of a different diverse set of cast so i think it's a little bit easier to kind of i like the mix i think the yeah. mix of 
fast helps with identification. They're all white in this one. So and the new one definitely teaches us the importance of diversity in film because it kind of helps with um, just adding more to a landscape of a film. Yeah. Grab your blanket, light a candle, turn off the lights and get ready to solve this murder with us. Emma. So exciting. You ready? Let's do it. Here we go. All right. So the, uh, the opening scene is actually pretty scary. Not going to lie. Uh, oh my gosh. That was the one thing. So when I watched it for the first time after watching the new version, I was like, what is this? I was like, am I watching a horror flick? Cause the new one is very like upbeat and lively in the beginning. And this is like scary. It is. It's really scary. The overture, the music that is surrounding it is kind of terrifying. Not going to lie. Uh, yeah. we see, we see a white house with just kind of like a blue tint. There, there's sort of this blue nighttime tint on the screen. Bit of a fog. Yeah. And the scene inside is really scary. Uh, someone is stealing a baby and running away. Uh, later we find out that this is Daisy Armstrong, the daughter of Colonel Armstrong and Sonia Armstrong. Um, in the kidnapping, we see a nurse strapped to a chair, a man knocked over the head, uh, two guys, two people uh, in a getaway car. Someone on the kind of upper stairs screaming. Does that happen? Right. Yeah. There's a lot of chaos. It's, it's very quick. We see the maid who is apparently working for the Armstrong. She's in like the garage or the side house uh, watching this getaway car. And the getaway car eventually goes on the road and uh, knocks another car off the side of the road. There were two people working together to kidnap Daisy. And we see a bunch of newspaper headlines describing uh, basically what happened. Daisy Armstrong, this baby, was kidnapped and ultimately killed after Colonel Armstrong, her father, had paid the ransom. Yes, very similar to the actual Lindbergh case that we had just went over. So this would have been a really big case Colonel Armstrong, this character was similar to the Charles Arms. I got Charles Lindbergh. It's going to happen this whole time. Anyway, it was similar in the sense that he was in the army. He's an aviator. He's very prominent. And Sonia Armstrong, the character in this, is a famous American actress. Yeah. Oh, and Colonel Arm or Colonel Armstrong is British. Right. That might help with clues down the road Great. anyway so uh so after that a uh, very brief sort of background uh we see a time card five years later and we are in the asian side of istanbul where we see 1935 december december 1935 right 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 we are in the asian side of istanbul where we see miss debenham uh board a seaboat ferry for the orient express on the ferry is also detective poirot and Colonel Arbutnot, Sean Connery. Uh, Arbutnot approaches Miss Debenham, and they both see Poirot. So this is, to me, this is a line worth saying. So we see Sean Con. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna keep referring to the actors' names. Forgive me, everyone. Well, Colonel- it's it's fine that you do that because I, I can't remember if it was in yeah if it was in this one or the the newer Orient Express, but they wanted to cast familiar faces. Yes, because it helps you keep the characters straight. So you know what? I'm not sorry. I will refer to them by their names because that'll help you keep them straight because that was the intention. Yeah. 
So Sean Connery and Vanessa Redgrave are kissing and Vanessa Redgrave says something along the lines of not now, not now when it's all over, when it's all behind us. So this is immediately kind of our first little like thing um, in the mystery. And this is one point that I'd also like to um, review a difference between the older version and the newer version. In the older version, she says it very like romantic, very, oh, not now, not now, when it's over, when it's all back. It's kind of more like whatever. could be a lot of things. Mm -hmm. In the new version, Daisy Ridley, who plays the Vanessa Redgrave equivalent of Miss Devonham, she says it very sinisterly of not now, like when it's over, when it's all behind us to the Leslie Odom Jr. character. So I... In the new version, you, you're like, ooh, you're immediately like, this is a suspect. Um, in the older version, this could be a million things, and it could go over your head. Kind of to each their own. I like both, but it's to, just two interesting stylistic choices from the directors. Yeah, so we have that brief sort of clue. Uh, Poirot. We don't know who Poirot really is at this point. Like I said, when I first watched this, I thought that he was just a random guy. He was sort of like Mr. Bean. Like he's got he's a the, suspect too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's got this slick hair, um, very straight. Um, he's got a weird mustache that's curled. I, yes. I, would, I wouldn't call it glorious by any means. I think Sean Connery's mustache. Well, is, neither would Agatha Christie. Yeah, <laughs> Agatha Christie would. Be, I, I'm with her on this. I, I'm with her. I agree. Um. But yeah, so he's sort of observing their conversation, but also not really thinking much of it because they could just be a random couple, I guess, to him. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, uh, later after that, we see the fairy cross and some absolutely beautiful shots of a Turkish sunset. I love the way the boat looks, super soft lighting, and I believe that's a harp in the background? Yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, very exotic, very pretty. Yeah. Again, it sets the mood for adventure. Mm -hmm. And so after the ferry boat crosses, uh, we are at a dinner party, and Perot meets up with his friend Bianchi, who is the director of the company that owns the Orient Express. When Perot, Oh, this is also interesting because in the book, it's actually a French character. This is um, – they changed the uh, nationality of the character because – English would have been their common language or having English as their common language makes more sense than having them speak in French to each other. Right. So, uh, so yeah, they're having some dinner and Perot tells him that he's going to London and Bianchi realizes that they're going to be on the same train. And so Bianchi offers Perot his own compartment, uh, in the Calais, Calais coach. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The coach. Yes. And so, uh, after that, we cut to the terminal where we start seeing a few of the passengers start to board the train. We see the ruthless, older Princess Natalia Dragomirov uh, and her servant Hildegard Schmidt, super German. Uh, you see that she's a diva, very much attended to. Yeah, she is, she's pretty old. Uh, throwing that Not out there. Like a fairy tale princess you like yeah. picture when you say princess. This is like maybe the wicked stepmother. <laughs> Low key. Sure. Um, but yeah, so after that, we see the stylish Countess Elena Andreni uh, and Count Rudolf Andreni. They're Hungarians. They're scary and very rich looking. They're, they look very well to do. They're a hot young couple. Yeah. And everyone knows it. They're not trying to hide it. 
they're shooing off people that are offering them food and it's <laughs> kind of a funny scene but yeah we kind of get an idea of what their personality is like uh after that we see mrs hubbard the oh so fine lauren bacall uh <laughs> yeah kind of strutting yeah she's alone and she doesn't really care we see she's also rich and extravagant mm-hmm. it's kind of the theme of a lot of the passengers that are riding in the Kalai coach after that we see bianchi and perot go up to the uh the door the entrance of the car and we see the stumbling fumbling greta olsen ingrid bergman she is <laughs> Very religious. I, I don't know. Yeah, she's uh, she's a missionary. She's a Swedish missionary. Um, I don't know how she got into this coach compartment. Well, yes, that is also part of the clues that we can begin picking up on. There are a couple characters in this that probably wouldn't have been able to afford this compartment so agatha christie wrote it as though um so that those the less rich characters were sharing compartments so they were doing shared compartments with others instead of private compartments which would have been affordable obviously yeah and so after olsen uh goes inside we then see bianchi arguing with one of the conductors uh pierre paul michel 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 yeah, pierre pierre, <laughs> yeah. pierre uh he has two saints names and he's lucky super blessed, blessed. and then, and then <laughs> and then we see a man by the name of Ratchet. Uh, he comes along with his secretary, Mr. McQueen, Anthony Perkins, who asks very suspiciously about the upper berth. Um, he's followed by Ratchet's English manservant, Mr. Beddoes. Mr. Beddoes. Mr. Beddoes. Love him. He yeah. kills it as a butler. <laughs> he's so funny. Yeah. And anyway. so, yeah, Do- Detective Poirot goes aboard and is confronted by Mrs. Hubbard and goes to his room where we see him talking to a very nervous McQueen who clearly does not want to share his room. Yeah, he's freaking out um, that he has to share, that he has a bunkmate. And then that immediately, again, if we're watching this from like a, if we're a detective standpoint, it's kind of like, this is another like, ooh, that's suspicious. So we'll log that away. I feel like I would just live so on edge if I was a detective. Like I'd be like, that's a clue. That's it's just nothing, (laughs) but maybe it's just a paranoid guy. Um, and so, yeah, everyone's aboard and I love when the Orient Express is about to depart. Me too. This is, Oh, I love this shot. I love this scene. It's like, Oh, there's nothing better than watching a train take off. (laughs) We're just ready for adventure. Yeah. So the, uh, the music starts playing, but it's cued perfectly from when the light of the engine goes off. And so it's a very lighthearted, almost cheery scene. Yeah. Us, you know, setting off the train, sending off That's the Orient exciting. Express. And yeah. train travel back then in the 1930s, that would have been so glamorous, so amazing. And that just captures what these characters are going through. They're going through a glamorous luxury train trip across Europe. And it's it's just, it's cool. It brings us back to the olden days and um, just this upbeat feeling of being excited for what's to come. Um, we know from the title of the film that there's a murder to take place. So as an audience, we're pretty excited for our journey to take off to see what happened. 
I don't know if this was exactly where it happened, but the actual Orient Express trains were no longer in existence during the time of shooting. But uh, I think they got a real Orient Express engine to be used. It couldn't travel far, but they yes. used it. Um, yeah, actually, I think that the very, 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 very last Orient Express train that took off was in 2009. But by then, that was just like, it was pretty obsolete at that For point. Yeah. yeah. So it was quite a little vintage treat to have this train on there. Yeah. So the, uh, the train departs and we are off on the Orient Express. Uh, we see the train traveling and McQueen and Ratchet are talking about business. That is Anthony Perkins and Johnny Depp for <laughs> intents and purposes. <laughs> Richard Widmark. Yeah, Richard. Yeah. And so uh, right. Rat- Ratchet asks him if he's received any more letters. And McQueen says, only anonymous ones. So right away, we're not quite sure what that means. Could be, could be anything. Could be innocent. Could be suspicious. Hard to tell. But we do know that McQueen slept very badly. Yes. And so we see more of the layout of the train car along with the passengers. Uh, Perot drinks this really green drink, <laughs> this green drink. And it's kind of weird, but he's about to go back to his cabin when he's flagged down by Ratchet, who keeps mispronouncing his name as Pero. <laughs> I love it. I think it's so ignorant. Like, yeah. it's, a good, it's a good way to easily hate this character, yeah. like a nice... Yeah ignorance and pronunciation after being corrected yeah. i mean i might struggle with it but at least like you know yeah i would, I would make sure that i actually got it right yeah ratchet's kind of like okay whatever and so ratchet tells him that he has a job for poro uh that would pay very generously he says that he's a rich man who has enemies poro says when a man is in position to have enemies it does not usually resolve itself into one enemy only which i thought was interesting that was a little bit of a sneaky line there. And so when Perot asks what his profession is, Ratchet's kind of shady. He's not really telling him. Uh, business. business. He's retired. And then finally he's like, I'm in baby food. What does it matter? What, what a, what a like, out of left field. <laughs> I, I obtained a lot of enemies in the baby, baby food, food business. <laughs> baby food. Baby food. Uh, but ultimately he gets to his point, which is that he is concerned with his own safety. He shows Perot a gun that he sleeps on and offers him $5,000 to protect him and be his bodyguard, 10,000 and then 15,000. But Perot is like, nah, nah. He's like, I don't want to get my hands in this. I'm on team, uh, Puero on this one. That was a good call to maybe like this guy, a little seedy, little shady, (laughs) I don't know if I'd be wanting to do business with him. Yeah. Puero is, uh, is righteously or yeah, is rightly tipped off that he shouldn't really be in cahoots with this man. And, uh, he tells him that he's made enough money to satisfy himself. And while they're in a tunnel, Ratchet leaves the table in the dark and then Puero is just stuck there. Yeah. I actually loved this choice of direction or this, scene choice i thought that was very cool it just kind of shows how much very afraid he is for his life that anytime it's dark it's like gotta leave yeah and so when they switch compartments at the belgrade station uh poirot takes bianchi's personal room and asks pierre uh about his new room neighbors uh Beto's comes into ratchet's room and gives him his nightly sedative oh this is actually just kind of a, for people 
trying to follow along with the mystery, trying to build yeah. their case and clues. Bianchi um, leaves to a totally different uh, train car. Yeah. So yeah. it's only, yeah. Yeah, Bianchi is not a, a suspect then. since no, all, he's out. Yeah, so Bianchi's out. But yeah, so uh, so it's nighttime and Beto's Ratchet's manservant comes in to give him his nightly sedative and Ratchet tells Beto's to fetch McQueen, his secretary, Anthony Perkins, to see the new telegrams being sent out. Uh, Beto's does this angrily, throwing his towel after telling McQueen to go meet with Ratchet. And then we get Perot's amazing nighttime routine. This man is dedicated to the aesthetic. Love it. <laughs> yes. He's so quirky. And it again, it's good for us to see how detail oriented he is because it comes into play with how detail oriented he is as a detective. Yeah. He has this hairnet that <laughs> keeps his perfectly slicked hair in place. Uh, he has his mustache net and lots of hand cream and hand gloves, <laughs> along with like a cashmere robe or something. It's so weird. That you should almost tell, yeah, like you said, you should be able to know that by his weirdness, you probably know this guy is a good detective. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, okay. I, He's not going to mess around with. I want you on the case, Mr. Monsieur Perrault. Uh, and yeah, so in the middle of the night, we hear yells come from Mr. Ratchet's room. Uh, Perrault gets up and looks outside where Pierre Paul Miguel goes over to knock on the room. Uh, we hear Mr. Ratchet talking saying that he had a nightmare, and Paul Michelle leaves to attend another compartment. However, it's important to note that it's in a, it's not English that the response comes in. Right. It's a different language. Yes. And so I was actually, I did not know that he said that he had a nightmare until later on in the movie when they clarified that. Yeah. Well, and it helps, it's, yeah, it, it helps us as an audience. Like, well, I guess... Detective Pierrot would have known what he said, but us as an audience, we don't know. So, but our alarm balls, alarm balls, alarm <laughs> bells go off a little bit because part of McQueen's job is he is a translator. We'll learn that later. But anyway. Yeah. So uh, eventually the Orient Express is then stuck in the tracks because of a snowdrift. And we hear Mrs. Hubbard tell Pierre Paul Miguel. Uh, there was a man in her room. This is one of the few instances when Poirot gets woken up uh, in the middle of the night. And I really, I never know what language he's speaking or half the other people for that matter. It's so confusing. It's so confusing. Yeah, it adds to the confusion for yeah. sure. The mystery. Yeah. And so the uh, the next morning we see Beddoes knocking on Ratchet's door where there is no response. Poirot comes over with Pierre Paul Michel. And when we see inside... We see Ratchet murdered. Whoa, bomb, crazy. Yes, it's definitely. It's definitely gave me a fright the first time I watched it ever. Oh, and it gave Beto's no. a fright too. He uh he dropped his his glass. It's kind of funny too. The ingredients, if we look at um like what Beto's brings in. I forget what it's like Tabasco sauce and like this other stuff. And it's a hard boiled egg in a glass Tabasco. It's to, yeah. It's supposed to be ingredients that kind of, you know, wake you up after um, a tough night. Yeah. And yeah. it's funny cause the family of drinks that helps you with 
hangovers is titled corpse reviver and it's kind of interesting because he is a corpse but anyway pardon the pun (laughs) yeah Um, yeah but that was his amber moon and Beto's is shocked he he makes a mess he drops his glass he drops this amber moon or whatever on the ground Oh, and this is important to note too. Um, when they opened the door, it was still locked from the inside. Right. It was. I mean, it was latched. It wasn't. It was locked, but it was also latched with the chain from the inside. Right. And so we have a murder on our hands. We have to figure out what happened. And of course, Detective Poirot is on the case. Uh, we see all the passengers upset that they're stuck, and we get a cheeky, of course we're stuck in the Balkans, or <laughs> whatever, from Sean Connery. I thought that was so funny. The, the doctor aboard the train goes to give a, a mini autopsy, and we see that along with being possibly drugged, Ratchet was stabbed 12 times. In his pocket is a watch that is stuck, giving the appearance of the crime happening between midnight and 2 a.m., Poirot tells him that he heard Ratchet have his nightmare the night before in between that time. And so that is the initial place we're, we're at right now. Thus, the stage is set. A couple things to note. Um, Dr. Constantine, I believe that's his name, Dr. Constantine? Yes. The doctor. He is also not a suspect. He was also brought in from a different car. So he's out for people trying to tally off who they think is the killer um i actually think that and again it's been a minute since i've seen the newer version but i think they actually had one of the suspects as the doctor anyway so i think i I could be wrong on that but if that's if you're confusing it with the new one this one the doctor is not a suspect at all yes so bianchi and the doctor are for sure out Yes. yes so they are not suspects Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think, and again, stabbed 12 times. That's the, um, it's the manner of death. Yes. And so the passengers are starting to get interrogated when we see Mrs. Hubbard telling Bianchi that the man that came in her room smelled like tobacco. And we see the camera angling a lot of a shot to include Princess Dragomirov, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, so Perot starts off the interrogation with McQueen, Ratchet's secretary, Anthony Perkins, stating how they met, uh, how he was more of his courier than secretary. Uh, he stammers a bunch going on or going in on Ratchet's background and shares two letters that Ratchet received. They say, I kill killers and prepare to die. Very ominous. Um, and it's written and kind of each letter has like a different handwriting. It's like very janky. (laughs) They are. And then the new version, I think it's like cutouts that they used. I think I could be wrong, but, and that's always very scary to me, (laughs) but this was also frightening. Uh, yeah. So So we, we see where the threats came from. Yeah. And then, uh, McQueen says that the other threatening letters that Ratchet received, he would just burn. Super strong Norman Bates vibe. I'm getting. Yes. Fantastic. Again, like, you know, so, and I mean, if if and when we do Psycho, I'll go into it more, but. Oh, we will. Psycho, Psycho totally changed his typecasting forever because he was, you know, it's like good guy, like kind of actor. And so when you cast him in Psycho, it's very unsuspecting. 
Um, after that, very much typecasted as a villain from that point forward. So in this, I think it's a really good, um, either however you want to view it, it could be a red herring, it could be true to a killer if he's the killer, but either way, like as an audience, you see, you're supposed to see Norman Bates in this guy. And I mean, it goes along with the character's dialogue later, we'll get into it, but you're supposed to see that. So he's immediately someone that we're like, Ooh, I get bad vibes from you. Yeah. I, I when I was first watching, I was like, it's too obvious. I was like, <laughs> it, it, it can't be him. It can't be him. And so, oh man, I immediately, I was kind of like Bianchi. I was like, it's him. Like, <laughs> and, but then I was like, it can't be him though. I, I, I thought it was a red herring. I think it fits perfectly with the end result. Yeah. It, it fits perfectly with the end result. Oh, and once again, we do learn that he is um, McQueen's translator because McQueen <laughs> McQueen was Ratchet's translator because Ratchet didn't know any foreign languages. Right. And so, interesting. Why was there a foreign language coming from compartment. Ratchet's compartment? Hmm. And so, In- yeah, uh, Dr. Constantine goes over the stabs, describing that some of the stabs uh, appear to be deep, some were shallow, and some as barely scratches. Uh, while this happened, McQueen goes down the hallway and is frantically looking back. And so, this is also a little bit of a, what's going on? And he's got a briefcase in hand, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very, very sketch. But yeah, so Perot states to Bianchi and the doctor that there are too many clues in the room. <laughs> like, <laughs> doesn't, there are too many clues. <laughs> this room. Um, yeah. I love that. And it's also very, very, very similar. I like that Kenneth Branagh kind of kept that little like sing-songy thing, yeah. sing-songy vibe in the newer version. So yeah. applause to continuity between actor portrayals of a character. Yeah. Um, yes, but there's lots of clues in the room. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, the ashtray, the handkerchief with an H on it. Mm-hmm. The handkerchief with the H. Uh and Perot takes the gun from under Ratchet's head. So how was he stabbed if he had some sort of defense? You we will. don't know. We don't know. Uh, yeah. And so after this, Perot takes that, uh, that burnt piece of paper that he found on Ratchet's nightstand and he ingeniously lights a flame underneath it. Um, I don't, I don't think I probably would have <laughs> figured out how to do that. Yeah. I, I, don't know how it works but he does <laughs> yeah he, he takes two hat boxes which i don't even think i know <laughs> what those are um but yeah so he like he takes two hat boxes and puts the paper in between them it's burnt but then he takes i think it's a lighter it's a lighter with some sort of lighter fluid in it um it's his mustache wait oh no he his uses mustache his mustache light to hair. help yeah. Light it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, he uses this light and he puts it underneath this paper and it illuminates the paper. And he says, you are my only witnesses, like, or, or something along those lines, to the doctor and to Bianchi, who are right next to him. And we see on the paper the letters A, I, S, Y, a space, and then A, R, M, S. AC arms. <laughs> AC arms. <laughs> what are we to do with that? Uh, but Perot figures out the real identity of Ratchet in that instant and why he had to leave America. 
bum, bum, bum. And I love the creepy music playing. It gives me shivers. We are, we have, um, uh, an identity and a possible motive for this killer. Exactly. And so Perot tells Bianchi of the Armstrong murder and how there were two men involved. One that was tried and executed and happened to give up the name of his partner, Cassetti. So this, Ratchet, is really Cassetti. 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 Yes. He was an accomplice in the Daisy Armstrong kidnapping and murder. He was actually the orchestrator. Oh, so he was the orchestrator. Okay. Yeah, so he was the mastermind. It's a little confusing. In the book, there's two. um, He's the orchestrator, and he has like a henchman carry it out. In the movie, and both movies, um, the new and the old version, I think they just have Cassetti to make it less confusing. Okay. Yeah. So, so so he was not involved in actually kidnapping, but he was like the plotter behind it. Yes. Okay. Either way, this was all his idea, and he is a total scumbag. Yeah. Boo. Oh. Boo Cassetti. I'm, Boo I'm Cassetti. probably still going to call him Ratchet, but his real name is Cassetti. Yeah, because he is Ratchet. Yeah, Cassetti <laughs> is Ratchet. So, um, <laughs> and so yeah, uh, Perot tells the story of how Mrs. Armstrong, Daisy's mom, gave premature birth to a stillborn child and died in the process. So Mrs. Armstrong died, her baby died, two deaths. Uh, how Mr. Armstrong, Colonel Armstrong, shot himself, three deaths, and how the Armstrong's maid committed suicide because people believe that she was in on it. So that's yeah. that's four. But there was a, a she fifth was one. Innocent, by the way, people. Yeah, and she was innocent. The maid was innocent. Her alibi checked out. Yeah, but wasn't there, there was one more person that died, right? Um, it might have been the baby. As- oh, and Daisy. Yeah. So Daisy. Yeah. Daisy's the fifth one. So five people had bloodshed from the hands of Ratchet Cassetti. Horrible. Yes. This man's oh I, when I when I heard that I was like, uh Perot, can you just take the <laughs> the gas off the pedal here? Can't you just let the man die <laughs> in peace? <laughs> yeah, it's um it's it's kinda like, yeah. yeah. But you know what? And you know what? Okay. This is again going to be where I flip flop between my preference for the beginning of the newer version versus this version i will say in hindsight i actually like how they did like the news articles of the case to show us the victims how big this was how horrible this was um because i think it's a good setup for how awful this guy was and how he ruined the lives of many people right exactly and so uh after that we are in the cabin, and Perot starts questioning Paul Pierre, Paul Michel, Michel. <laughs> I, I'm going to butcher that name so much. But yeah, the conductor. Uh, he founds out that his wife died five years ago from the grief of losing their daughter to scarlet fever. Uh, they go over how Ratchet had a nightmare in the middle of the night and how he answered the Princess Dragomirov uh, after checking up on Ratchet in his nightmare scene. And what the princess wanted, she wanted um, him to send for her maid. Yes. Couple things to note here: um, his wife is dead. His daughter died from scarlet fever five years ago. He also gives the timeline of one thirty for the colonel leaving the queen. Oh wait, yes, the colonel leaving in the queen's compartment. So we're getting a little bit of a timeline buildup. So just keep that in mind um, for grand scheme and for the train incidences. Excellent. And so after that, they question McQueen. Uh, 
Anthony Perkins. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying that just so you guys know. But you probably know by now. <laughs> yeah, Norman, Norman Bates. He's stammering a bunch again. And when they tell him the real identity of Cassetti, he looks shocked. He says that if he knew who he was, he would have cut off his right hand so he couldn't type his letters. And he would have killed him with his left <laughs> first response is you would have killed that's your first response you would have cut off your hands so you wouldn't write his letters what <laughs> like, but no and then he would have killed him with his other hand yeah. um and that smile oh my god i don't know if you know the smile that i'm talking about but he gives this little like quick grin yes mm. it is the creepy norman bates grin that we can all think back to with yeah. uh norman bates yeah, but wow, um, lots of lots of ooh vibes from this guy, dark mm-hmm. vibes. Yeah, and so they question him a little bit more, and McQueen says that his dad was the district attorney who handled the Armstrong case and how the Armstrongs would come to his house. Uh, they would ask what they should do about the ransom money. He said that Mrs. Armstrong, the the mother, was gentle, and there was a weird sort of mother son lovey relationship between the two because yes. uh, his real his real mom died when he was eight apparently yes and he cried out for his mother twice in his sleep so again we're getting that weird norman batesy mother son complex through this character which once again is recalling our association with norman bates i love how perot is like <laughs> Pardon me for the Freudian question. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. But I love how, like, he also, he gets, um, he just jumps so far. Like, what are you saying? Like, I have emotional problems. <laughs> like, he's very, like, jumps. Yeah. Um, but I like the portrayal of instability because it makes us think this guy's not stable. Yeah. And uh, Bianchi is on that same train. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything more. There's a lot of lip licking going on. Oh, uh, they also let they inform a queen that they were in fact able to decipher the burnt letter, right? Which has uh, McQueen a little shook. Yeah, I was gonna say that too. Um, he he asked him like, "How did you find out his real identity?" And then they go into the the burnt paper thing, and then McQueen's like, "Oh, he would have burnt that." <laughs> <laughs> And they were like, it was. <laughs> and so, I don't know. I just thought that was so funny. He leaves. He's like looking back kind of like, oh, f-. I know. I see. I see it. Like, our, like, Bianchi sees it. We see it. We're all like, what's up with this guy? Yeah. And so. Uh, um, oh, one interesting thing. So we see a conflict between Bianchi and the doctor. Doctor thinks that. The queen couldn't have done it because it would have conflicted with the gentleness of the woman he admired. So right. why would he do something violent if the woman he admired was so womanly and gentle? Uh, good, it, uh, I, good devil's I, I, advocate. I, I, I disagree. <laughs> I, I think that was a weak defense, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, next we have Beto's. Beto said that all he did was instruct McQueen to go to Ratchet's room after he received the letter. Uh, then went back to his room, which was shared by Mr. Foscarelli, the Italian-American car salesman. I thought this was hilarious. This was hilarious. Uh, when Perot asks if uh, Foscarelli speaks English, Beddoes goes, A kind of English, sir. I think he learned it in a place called Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> LOL, so did we. What <laughs> uh, a little dig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And that I was listening to Foscarelli talking. I was like, is that how I sound? 
<laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I think it's like, um, also kind, kind of, um, alluding to the gangster vibe in Chicago at the time. Right. A lot of, uh, Italian American gangsters. And I think he's making a dig at that. For sure. But, yeah, they they cut, they do a really quick cutscene of Foscarelli and Beto's in their bunk, and Beto's is reading, and Foscarelli asks him uh, what the book if, if the book he's reading is about sex, and then Beto's goes, "It's about ten thirty. <laughs> Very cheeky from Mister Beto's. I loved it. Um, so that scene serves two purposes: a, it's hilarious, and b, it gives us a timeline yet again for those uh, plotting out their timeline. It's about 10.30 when they're uh, snuggled into their beds reading about books and um, chatting. Um, 9.30 when the drops were brought to or the sedative thing was brought to Ratchet. So it's about an hour later after he saw Ratchet. He's in bed reading and they are done for the night pretty much, kind of. But he has a toothache. Yeah, it was so funny. It was so funny. But yeah, so Beto says that he came to serve Ratchet through an agency that he worked for and that before that, he was a private military man in Scotland. Um, is there anything else missing from Beto's backstory? Um, so yeah, he, he was in the army and he would have been what's called a Batman. So like kind of like an orderly to uh, to people in the British military. Anyway. Bianchi also thinks he did it. <laughs> the butler yeah. did it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I thought it was funny. Um, yeah, after Perot tells him of Ratchet's identity, he says that he thinks that they should get references for who they serve yeah. instead of it being the other awesome. way around. Yeah, so he seems clean, but yeah. Bianchi thinks he did it. Beto's actually, and as soon as Bianchi says it, Beto's kind of looks back. Yeah. And, um, Bianchi, Bianchi says it when Beto's is like within an earshot of hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, I guess if I were in Beto's shoes and if I was innocent, I'd be pretty like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, a little yeah. a little look back, too. He's like, did you uh, really just say that? Yeah. But the doctor once again disagrees and says that the timing is off. And he was clearly in bed reading his book and then had a toothache and kind of slept through the toothache during the night. Yeah. And so uh, after the Beto's interrogation... We have uh, Mrs. Hubbard, who is very fiery. Lauren Bacall, mm, so, so nice. Uh, the two go back and forth, and Hubbard shows Perot that she found the button of a conductor in her room uh, while they're putting some of the kids away. Was, is this when Perot finds a handkerchief, or did he find the handkerchief before? He found the handkerchief before, I think. Um, but he does show it to her, asking if it belongs to her, because it has the initial H on it. Right. But there are lots of H initials people on this train, so that's <laughs> another little mystery. Literally everyone's name starts with H. <laughs> <laughs> like It's like the worst letter to be found on this thing. Yeah. Um, oh, I also thought this was just kind of funny. She's so talkative, and he keeps on like cutting her, cutting her off to get to the point. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was pretty good um but yeah so hubbard says that it's not hers because it's too fancy and that after one use you have to launder it <laughs> and Clearly. so yeah um she's funny i, I like her she's a spitfire but yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah so obviously they're gonna go see if the button belongs to the only conductor on their coach pierre paul oh wait Hang on. Yeah. If there's when, was more. It, when was it when she gave the line that she had a man in her room and then they were like, your eyes, but your eyes were closed. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. 
Um, that was a that, that was a funny line. I think that was when this happened. But yeah, when yeah, she's like earlier, I, I've enjoyed warm relationships with two husbands. <laughs> My eyes were closed. <laughs> yeah, that helps. Yeah, that was that was pretty good. She's and so funny. It, yeah, and when she's like, if there was a man in my room, however many so years ago, I wouldn't have minded. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so she's um, pretty insistent that there was a man in her bedroom last night. Yeah. Which is again adding to our compilation of clues. The killer. <laughs> we we can assume, presume. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, they they check out to see if the button belongs to the only conductor on the train, which is Pierre. Paul, yeah. Michel, uh, and it doesn't belong to him. They see that all of his buttons are sewn on and that they have old th- old thread. So it's not his. Uh, next, they bring in Greta Olsen for her interrogation, and we get the Oscar-winning performance, basically all yeah. within this one scene. This is um, literally an Oscar-winning performance from Greta. Yeah. <laughs> literally. And she claims she's very scared and doesn't know languages, which Pierrot is like, that's odd. Um, Scandinavians they, yeah. normally know more than just Swedish or whatever their yeah. you know, languages are. But she's goes into her whole story. And I love the range of emotion. I can totally see where this was for sure nominated and could see where it won. Lots of emotions. Fear, um, anxiety, just sadness, everything all wrapped up into one. And she does it while pretending to not know English very well, while knowing English very well, while pretending to improve on her native tongue. It's complex. It's great. She is amazing. Yeah. So she, yes, she says that she barely knows any English, that she was born backwards uh, she says that this is why she works in Africa with little brown babies who were born more backward than herself. Um, it's crazy how this is like one one take, one shot. Yeah, amazing. All one single shot would have been, which is extremely intimidating to an actress um, to deliver that. And especially because you can splice, like you can splice Right, different right. shots and kind of combined that to get an emo- like a variety of emotion but she captured the variety of emotion in one shot which is different than how editing techniques can use them today i mean you could have done that back then but you also have just like a very intimate close-up of them right uh, and not just this interrogation but a lot of the other interrogations you never get the reverse shot of perot so you really do get to see what the suspect's um reactions are to yes. each of Perot's questions. Um, yes. I love that method, just overall. You can play detective. Yeah. Um, and so I really like that you can kind of put yourself in Perot's shoes and, yeah, just sort of take in what uh, he's experiencing. Mm-hmm. So I like that a lot. Um, but, yeah, so what what I first realized upon first watch was that she does understand English pretty well, and she yeah. speaks it pretty well for not really – for saying that she doesn't understand it. Yeah. We don't know if she's being modest or real. Yeah. Um, but She does have trouble with a couple words, or she claims she has trouble with a couple words and needs help translating. But, yeah, kind of interesting mm-hmm. little notes there. We also learned that she spent three months in America, which kind of pings 
Puros radar of you didn't like pick more up in three months, um, which is kind of interesting. And we learned that she's been interested in religion for five years. Mm-hmm. She said that she had a, a vision of Jesus, Jesus, in the sky with many little brown children. Uh, she said her parents had no respect for God. She said that it was not just a sign, but also a punishment. Uh, <laughs> that's my that's my Ingrid Bergman. We get we also get the configuration of the room. Miss Debenham was uh, her room was next to hers, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. So Perot asks if Debenham Debenham the woman in the next room over from her uh, if she had left her room after the train left the last station, and Olson says that she was asleep just like her. Perot then says that if Olson was asleep. How could she know that Debenham didn't leave? Olsen says that when she was in her Shimoga mission, uh, she could bear, she could hear a snake breathe. Whatever that means. <laughs> she's a she's a, a light sleeper. Yeah, I could hear a snake breathe. <laughs> and she's very on edge all the time. Perot's like, all right, <laughs> checks out. Had enough of you. Uh, but then Bianchi's like, I think she did it, <laughs> and so. Which is an audience member, I could see you being like, nah. Nah, I think I think Greta checks out, man. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yes, Bianchi is also convinced that she did it. Yes, uh, and so after Olsen, we had the Countess Elena Andreni and Count Rudolf Andreni. She says that her maiden name was Grandwald uh, because of her German heritage. Now she holds Hungarian citizen citizenship because she married the count. Uh, Perot takes her passport and said that the first letter in her signature looks like it was blotted out with grease. Uh, the count defends her, saying that immigration officials might have smudged it with their hands because of the buttery rolls that they are always handling and Ooh. whatnot. So we don't. And I really... love that they give each other like shifty eyes. Yeah, uh, very shifty eyes. They're a, they're a, an interesting little couple here, and so she provides a signature mm-hmm. um, sample. And it matches. Yeah. Perot just asks her to duplicate the signature. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elena Andreni Ne Grandwald. It's all match. It checks all out. Match. Yep. Perot, Perot sees and that. And her handkerchief uh, is not hers either. Yeah. Yeah. It's about that. It's neither of her initials. So obviously, or she says that it's obviously not hers. Mm-hmm. Um, she also adds that she slept soundly because she took trienol, which is a mixture that mixed with water acts as a hypnotic. Uh, the doctor says that with sufficient drops of it, it could act as a poison and the count gets real offended at that. <laughs> yeah. Very defensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they claim that they slept all night. One other little thing worth noting here is they talk about how they first met quote unquote much later. And then this Puro is like much later than what? Um, to which the Count responds that he lived in America once as a diplomat to right. kind of advance himself. But he did live in America once, so let's take note of that, folks. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, next, we have the cray-cray Princess Natalia Dragomirov and her servant, Hildegard Schmidt. Uh, mm-hmm. I, love, I love her two little dogs. They're so funny. I love her whole compartment, like her prestigious Russian family out there, her yeah. her maid reading to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's she's extra, yeah. extra. And I will say in the new version, compl- I mean, I love um, this actress's portrayal of the princess, but 
absolutely love Judy Dench's portrayal in, in the new one. Worth checking out. Um, Judy Dench just seems like Princess Dragomiroff. Wasn't yeah. wasn't she the uh what what's that Anne Hathaway movie? God, what's it called? Where she's a princess and she doesn't know that she's a princess. Princess Diaries? Princess Diaries, wasn't You're thinking of Julie Andrews. Oh yeah. But yes, Judy Dench is so royal heir to her. Yeah. 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 <laughs> kind of similar to me. Cool. I don't know. But yeah, anyways. Um, yeah. So Perot tosses these little dogs to Bianchi, which I thought was so funny. Um, but yeah, so Perot says that he has read about the princess, that he knows that she is the godmother of Mrs. Armstrong, Daisy's well, mom. That's a big connection. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what do we do with that? Uh, the princess was the friend of Mrs. Armstrong's mother, the great American actress, Linda Arden. Poirot reminds her that Linda Arden had another daughter besides Mrs. Armstrong. A younger one. Mm -hmm. A younger one. Uh, The princess says that she never interacted with her and that she married some Turk. Uh, She says that Mrs. Armstrong's maiden name was Greenwood. Interesting. Uh, She says that there was a secretary by the name of Miss Freebody and that there was a chauffeur she never used. Uh, She also didn't work with the maid that was there. Yeah. Uh, didn't know the nurse. Yeah, Mr. Armstrong apparently used some Indian orderly. Uh, <laughs> she has the weirdest accent. It's like, it's so haunting. It's creepy. Yes, very no, creepy. it's very creepy. That's one of the things I like about this portrayal is how scary she comes off. Yeah. <laughs> like, very scary. Yeah. And so uh, not only, yeah, not only that, but um, she never interacted with Mrs. Armstrong's personal maid. But the princess didn't remember the maid's name because she only interacted with her own Hildegard. Um, Perot asks Hildegard what the other maid's name was. And so Hildegard says that her name was Paulette. This is where it gets so confusing with the names and everything. I remember when I was watching it, like this stood out to me. I was just like, what is going on? Yeah. Like (laughs) this is when the second watch through really comes in handy. Yeah, Yeah. It really helps. And yeah, and so that is our introduction to the princess, Dragomiroff. Uh, I love when Perot and Bianchi kiss uh, her hand as they leave. <laughs> the dogs just have their stupid little faces like on the side. <laughs> um, I just, I like that personally. Yeah, and so as Perot leaves the room, he rushes to grab a word with Hildegard, who had stepped out of the room. Uh, Perot asks if she has a picture of Paulette, and she says she has one in her suitcase. Hildegard goes up to grab her suitcase, and when she opens it up, she finds a conductor's outfit. Ah! Oh my god, and not just that, it is missing a button. Ah! Which could match the very button found in Mrs. Hubbard's room. Exactly. And so Hildegard is obviously worried that if she keeps it, she'll be accused of hiding it in her suitcase, to which Perot assures her that he is not worried that she hid it. Uh, he is as sure of that as he's sure she is a good cook and loyal. And he asks her, she's a good cook, right? And she responds without hesitation, all my ladies have said so. And With a then, smile. And then immediately after that, she gives a worried look. Yes. Like, oh, oh God. What did I let slip? What just happened? And so Perot doesn't even stick around. He just leaves the door immediately. He leaves Hildegard hanging, which I thought was pretty funny yeah and then he's like whistling and putting on the oh yeah also important to note um hildegard our other h named friend 
also denies the handkerchief belonging to her and the initials. um, Oh, and it's very nice. So he asked if it might belong to the princess. Initials don't match. Princess's first name is Natalia. Which is a Russian name. Yes. And so... The Russian princess. And so after that, Perot just kind of bounces. And he's he's like whistling. He's putting on the conductor's outfit. Because I think he's starting to slowly figure it out. Oh, yeah. Mind. He's feeling good. Yeah. And then he, I think he goes back into his room, right? Uh, yeah. And then a red and white kimono falls on top of him. Looking very much like the one that our slinky lady friend was wearing. To go to the toilet. <laughs> toilet earlier. And Perot just starts laughing maniacally. I actually, I was kind of worried that something was about to happen happen to him at this instance, at oh. this moment. I was like, oh my God, is he about to get got? Like, <laughs> I I was kind of nervous for Perot. Oh, Perot. <laughs> I thought someone might have been like hiding in his... In the room. Yeah, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. That, that's where I think I would have done a little bit of <laughs> jump. Jump. jump scare <laughs> jump but scare. that's that's just the the spielberg in me or whatever um <laughs> doesn't happen so perot is just laughing at finding this kimono which people yeah. had talked about earlier yes yeah and so after that uh we see an epic mustache showdown between colonel arbutnot and detective perot sean connery albert finney ding 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 uh yes. he discusses how he <laughs> Yeah, so Connery discusses how he spent time in Baghdad, and he defends Miss Debenham. Um, I love that that's like immediately his tactic. He's he goes, he asks if Miss Debenham did it, and it's like no. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and so he, I think he's kind of poking the bear she's with a, a stick. She, she's <laughs> not love, a woman. I love that. I I remember my first time watching this version. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> She's a man. She's a lady. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> that would have been a real curveball. <laughs> well, then we could have maybe known what their little earlier conversation was. Maybe. Oh about. my God! Could you imagine if that was the case? If that we're on the same page right now. <laughs> Not interesting twist. Once it's over. Once it's behind us. <laughs> anyway. Oh. <Wow. laughs> Perot doesn't even know what that is. <laughs> yeah, well, for the 1930s through 70s, wow. Yeah. Peter would have been shook. Yeah, that <laughs> would have been uh, progressive to say the least. <laughs> yeah, but no, he just means that she is a refined lady who would never do something of the sort. She's but a lady. Wow. Okay, whatever. That's not as fun. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Arbutnot says that Ratch deserved what he got but he would have preferred to have seen him tried by a jury of 12 good men and true. Perot noted that Arbonaut is the only passenger who smokes a peep pipe. Um, <laughs> he pronounces it like peep. I just thought that was so funny. Um, and there was a peep cleaner found near Ratchet's bedside. <laughs> and I love um, the colonel's response. Of like, are you crazy? You think I'd smoke my pipe and clean, clean. it and leave it there? <laughs> After I murdered him. <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, I definitely would have done that. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty sarcastic. I love him. Arvinod is hilarious. It's funny. Uh, we also get a little bit of our timeline edition here. Um, he noted at 1.15 he was talking with McQueen, talking about the future of India and British um, rule. 
uh, British occupation, occupation there. Yes, yeah. that's what I'm trying to say. He says the British so, are never. He says okay. the British are never going to leave India. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which forward. is always funny, like in a movie that takes place at a later time, looking on the past to be like, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And so Perot, after that, calls for Debenham, and while she comes in walking, she winks to Arbutnot. Ooh. Did you see that? Yeah, I did see the wink. She she's pretty winky in general, but this is this was a wink. Yeah, not she, go unnoticed. She winks when no one else is looking, so it's not like she's winking <laughs> and Perot sees it. She it's kind of like while they're walking. It's very yeah. subtle, so subtle that I missed it on the first watch, but obviously caught it on the second one. Um, Perot takes her to a private room, and Arbonaut looks from afar and seems a little worried. Uh, Perot said that he heard them talking on the ferry, saying. The, the quote that we heard from yes. earlier, not now, not now, when it's all over, when it's behind us. Mm. Mm. What are they talking about? Uh, and she doesn't give an answer. She declines to say what it's about. Yeah, she's like, I'll just call my lawyers long distance. And so, <laughs> and so she, yeah, she's evading. And then this really makes Poirot angry. He starts intense intensely interrogating her yeah. the bad cop is out yeah bad cop good cop gone bad Poirot is in um yeah. and so while their conversation starts to escalate uh Arbutnot sees this and he comes in to break up their conversation he, he knocks out Pierre um who's trying to stop him from going in which right. is interesting <laughs> yeah point yeah. um <laughs> yeah and so Arbutnot tells Poirot that he's in the middle of getting a divorce Poirot basically tells us Arbonaut like, hey, she's not talking. And so Arbonaut is stuck in a bit of a pickle. He leans in, he whispers to uh, Debenham really quickly. And then he goes into this spiel about how he's in the middle of getting a divorce and that they were talking about when the proceedings are all over and behind them, he intends to marry Debenham and that he was keeping it a secret because his current wife is unfaithful to him and he doesn't want to provide her with any sort of counter proceedings in the trials. Yes. So he has the upper hand right now with his wife cheating on him. He has enough evidence. If she gained evidence on him, it would throw his thing out the window. Yeah. And Debenham's response is so weird to me. She's like, turn on. Yeah. We get a little bit of that smirk again. Yeah. She, Uh, she, she gives like the weirdest smile and doesn't, doesn't say anything, but she just like leans in. It's supposed to be ambiguously weird because we don't know if this is a cover story. We don't know if this is the truth and he was just her knight in shining armor, telling the truth, sacrificing his nobility. We don't know what it's about, but we know that it's all good to her. Also worth noting, um, I think it was Bianchi or the doctor. Bianchi asked Pierrot why he didn't ask her if she'd been to America. And Pierrot answers, he didn't need to ask if she'd been to America. Exactly. And so next, they interrogate the Italian-American car salesman, Foscarelli, uh, who says that Ratchet was mafia and was probably killed by another mafia member with a knife or a gun. And just like that, Mrs. Hubbard appears with a bloody knife. Convenient. Um, I love how smiley Foscarelli is and how just like upbeat and he's just here to help. (laughs) And he's been a car salesman. Uh, for seven years or been in America for seven years. Um, he's a car salesman. He's like, Oh, that cassetti. No, like 
horrible. Era mafioso. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, and he's conveniently offering a very nice solution to this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And so Hubbard says that she found this bloody knife in her makeup bag. And then Perot says that he wants them to gather up all the passengers so he can deliver his final verdict. But before that, he asks Foscarelli if Beto's left his bed at any point in the night, to which he says that he didn't because of the toothache. Yeah. And the other question that he asked Foscarelli was if he had ever been in private service. And that was another no. But like a very emphatic no. 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 And so did, did he mean private service as in like a servant of some sort? Yeah, like like a private driver maybe or like handling like, like cars. Chef. Yeah, like, like, yeah, like in someone's private, like, like a private, private chef. Serve. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. Um, again, before they finally round every, everyone up, Perot wants to see one last person on the coach, which is Cyrus B. Hardman. Good old Hardman. And Perot says that it's a gamble, which if it pays off, he'll know his answer. Ooh, he's he's making a really big risk here. And so he brings in Hardman and he asks if he was a theatrical agent, to which he says no, that that was really a cover-up and that he was really a bodyguard sent to protect Ratchet and that he didn't do well. When Perot asks for some... Clearly. Yeah, clearly I didn't do well. <laughs> Um, when Perot asks for proof, Harbin gives him a business card and Perot looks at it uh, behind his book and then he gives back what looks like the business card when in reality, it's a picture. Well, switch a room. It's a photo of Paulette. <sighs> the maid who killed herself due to false accusations of being yeah. involved in the murder. And then this, it, it just... Breaks Hardman. He's left speechless. Well, it's Paulette. He says that he'll pretend to stop being anything. And that's it. That's the final interrogation. Poirot's work is done. And he brings everyone in. Gang is gathered up and he thinks he has an answer. Or two. And so yeah, the, uh, the snowdrift is starting to clear out. And Poirot goes into his final deliverance of what he believed happened with the case. Emma, Detective Poirot, would you oh, like man. to deliver the final verdict? Here we go. Let me try to keep all of this straight because we've got a lot of clues. We're going to try to rake them all out. Um, catch me if I forget anything because odds are I probably will because there's a lot here to take in. <laughs> all right. There's two answers to this mystery. There's a very simple answer, which um, Detective Poirot brings out. And that would be that there's evidence that the killer was a stranger dressed as a conductor who had gained a passkey, boarded on the Belgrade stop, and might be a possible rival member of the mafia, and killed Ratchet in his cassetti in his sleep. That's answer A. That's the simple one. There's also answer B, which is much more complex. So complex that it took eight pages of script to discuss all of this. Um, and before we go into the details, let me just say, this was very hard work as an actor on all of their parts, um, especially Albert Finney's, but all of them, because they had to shoot from different angles and there was only so much room in the train compartment set 
that they had to retake it so many times. It had to have continuity and the guests all had to look like very interested every time. And so that took a lot. And there's a lot of information to like keep straight. So here we go. I'm going to try to. Also, the the fun fact about Albert Finney and just, um, I guess what he was doing at the time, uh, he was performing in the stage play along with shooting this, right? Yeah. Actually, a couple actors on this that were performing in stage plays. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, he was super low on sleep. Uh, His daily routine was that an ambulance would come to his house to pick him up in his pajamas while he was sleeping, and they would try not to wake him up. And they would start doing his makeup while he was sleeping in the ambulance yeah. going to work. And then they would finish him up uh, with a fine Down detail set. in the studio. Yeah. Uh, pretty crazy, but you got to do what you got to do to get those Z's in. Yeah. Dedication to the game. Albert Finney, you are crazy. And Emma, tell us what, Here we detec- go. De- tell us what Detective Perot deduced. Here we go. (laughs) Uh, Alternative theory is that the murder was committed by person or persons in this coach. So here is some of the evidence before he goes into his recreation of the murder. McQueen admitted to knowing Mrs. Armstrong and um, he believes he lied when he said he didn't know that Ratchet was Cassetti. So that could have been a guise to get in close with Ratchet Cassetti. Um, Also, his father works on the case, so he might have had an emotional investment. Princess Dragomirov knew a surprising lack of detail, but in a surprising knowledge of other details. Um, So he would have, uh, Colonel Armstrong was British and served in the British unit of the armies, and he would have had a British orderly, not um, one serving in India. It's also unbelievable that she would not remember the younger sister's name, but she would remember the secretary's name, Miss Freebody. So that's a little unusual. And then um, we also have that the maiden name of the um, goddaughter, Sonia, was Greenwood. Which is interesting because the Countess Andreni, um, she said her maiden name was Greenwald. Greenwald. Yeah. And from German extraction. But that is the German version of Greenwood. So the younger sister had the same maiden, or <laughs> it's assumed that she might be the younger sister because she has the same maiden name um and then there comes the sort of curiosity of um her name being smudged out because it's really helena and not evan helena, helena so, being her christian name yes helen transferred to helena with the h smudged out which we think could implicate her in the handkerchief um debacle but Pierrot clearly states that that is not her handkerchief because clearly the H is actually a capital N in the Russian language connecting with our princess Natalia Dragomirov. Of Russian descent. 
Yeah. That one for me, um, and again, because the first time I saw this story play out was in the new version, that was the most like, <laughs> like mind exploding thing. Um, while I watched it, I was like, oh, come on. But then I don't know in this version, in the old one, it seems more realistic for him to like piece that together. I don't know why. Anyway, <laughs> keep going. So he also goes to our maid, Hildegard. He notes that she is a cook and not a real maid because a maid would not cook for their ladies. And he suspects that she might have been a cook, the cook in the Armstrong household. Ooh. All right. Next little piece that we have together. Debenham, we um, presume, was in fact the secretary because... And this is kind of where it would have come in handy if we lived in older times. There is a department store, which I believe is Debenham and Freebody in Great Britain. And it's presumes that her she took on an alternate name to disguise herself. This would be like in America, the equivalent of like Lord and Taylor and her real last name is Taylor, but she took a disguise as Lord. So just to help you keep how that was pieced together. Good comparison. Good comparison. Yeah. Hopefully that was helpful to y'all. And then the other suspicious thing she said was that she would call her lawyer if needed. Um, Long distance. Yes. Long distance. A British girl who hadn't lived in America would have said something along the lines of, I will make a trunk call to my solicitors. So we have an understanding that she spent a significant amount of time in America. Colonel Arbonaut claims um, not to have known the Colonel Armstrong because they served in different branches in the military. Um, That doesn't line up necessarily. And he talks of a jury which is, again, another sort of American reference. We also have the number 12 being big here. There are 12 stabs, 12 different capital letters, and these threatening letters. (laughs) We have 12 people and a jury, and we have 12 passengers excluding Pierrot and the murdered man on this train. So keep that in mind. Um, We also have that Hardman was a simple policeman who he presumes fell in love with Paulette the maid. Paulette was French, and we pieced together that Paulette was, in fact, the daughter of Pierre. And she did not die from scarlet fever. She did not die of scarlet fever, but the timeline adds up. The daughter died five years ago. So did Paulette. Boom, Paulette killed herself when she was falsely accused. It's the same lady. Um, also, yes, we'll keep going. Yeah. The Countess is noted for practicing her accent from her actress mother, the Linda Arden, who was famous. Great actress. And, yeah. Yes. And then we get to Greta Olsen, who he presumes was a nurse to little Daisy, as well as the children that she served while being a missionary. And it was hard to decide, or it was hard to see her understanding of difficult words, but having an easy time, or having a hard time with easy words, but having a easy time with difficult words. Um, So he was able to 
see that she actually did have a very good understanding of English. Also worth noting, um, she began to be religious five years ago, which again matches up with our timeline of the murder being five years ago. And we can see where this revelation took place. The Armstrong chauffeur, they have that. Um, Foscarelli? They, yes, Foscarelli, noted to be the Armstrong chauffeur. So he was, in fact, in private service, and his response was just a little too confident that he was not in private service. And Beddoes um, would have been an orderly, the Batman, too, because he is, he served in the British ranks. He would have been the Batman to the Colonel Armstrong. So it makes sense for him to have been the butler servant to the Armstrongs. And he was hit over, the Armstrong's butler was kind of hit over the head, as does Beddoes have an injury to that area. I think that sums it up. Yeah. And so after that, um, whole, I guess, explanation. Poirot sits down and pours himself some water. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, and um, I think everyone in that moment is just sort of looking at themselves like, eh. Well, it's interesting because now we have an established motive for each of them to have wanted to kill the murder victim. Each of them has a connection to the Armstrong family. Um, each of them has a reason to hate Ratchet Cassetti. So here exactly. we go. Um, Pierrot, oh, oh, and uh, and uh, Hubbard. We missed Hubbard. Um, so she, they go into hers, I think, during the reconstruction. Okay, yeah. So every, everyone's yeah. laid out, and then we sort of see Hubbard. Yes. So then we go into Pierrot's reconstruction of the night of the murder. Oh, I guess with Hubbard, too, throughout the movie, she references having two husbands, her second one being Hubbard, her first one being Greenwood. Greenwood. What? Nuts. Anyway, <laughs> here we go. Wait, and so just for everyone's understanding, what does that mean in the context of the story? That means that our Mrs. Hubbard is, in fact, actress Linda Arden, mother to Sonia Armstrong and Countess Helena, Elena, Helen, Greenwood, Andreni. Oh, snap. Grandmother to our little Daisy. The Damn. dots The dots are connecting with Poirot, they're connecting with me, with Emma, with everyone, the audience. And then, yeah, I'm going to get into the reconstruction of the night. The night of. The night Here of. Here we go. Um, we learn that Linda Arden, who is Mrs. Hubbard, was the mother and the orchestrator of this entire plot to kill Cassetti. So we see McQueen come in to uh, do his business with Cassetti, Ratchet. We see McQueen drugging Ratchet behind his back in the glass, right? Yes. And then um, he steps out. Ratchet is then in bed 
And then he's starting to pass out and he's reading his threatening note with the words Daisy Armstrong on it. And then he's passed out. Then we cut to McQueen, who is wearing gloves, which is always like, nope, <laughs> um, changing the clock to the presumed time of death and puts it in the pocket. Mm -hmm. McQueen then makes the nightmare noise himself and burns the letter. And we learn that it's McQueen who gives the only a nightmare in the other language, the non-English language. To Pierre. To Pierre. Ooh. Then, ooh, I love this part. Then he opens the door for Mrs. Hubbard to come in. And um, we see then each individual taking their turn stabbing Ratchet Cassetti, all while saying the name of the person they lost or exclaiming a hate for him or using a vile term to describe him. What did you think of this scene? When it started, when the blue light came on, oh in in the room i knew what was about to happen i honestly i didn't know i i really i did not know until it started happening i was shocked shocked i i was i was like i was trying so hard to piece it all together and then that last scene those like last i don't know it's like a five minute scene um, the blue light comes on and then everyone yeah. just takes their turn stabbing. It's like, yeah. it's scary. It's very dark and scary. Vengeful. Yes. Oh, man, it's, it's brutal to watch almost like, yeah, it, th it's these people, not they're, you know, their primal instincts are coming out. And we see the intensity of the stabbing varying between the different people, which again connects to the variety of the stabs that they find from the medical exam. Some are slight. Some people are a little hesitant. Some people struggle with it. Some people are like, yeah, and stab him hard. Like Foscarelli. Um, <laughs> Foscarelli's is a great stab. I think, was it his where like he got so into it that he forgot to like hand the prop knife over oh. to the next person? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> great acting, great acting. I love yeah. it. I love how uh, Also, I think important to note that uh, Helena, Andrenyi, and the Count, they, they stabbed they, together. So they that, the stab that, together. that's why it wasn't 13 and that's why it was 12. Yeah. Um, yes. but it was a joint effort. Joint stab for them. Joint stab. Because she, well, I don't know. It, it varies between the different movie variations in the book. But basically, all it was it was in them together. They were both affected. Yeah. Um, and it was also interesting. She, because um, everyone says the name of their victim that they lost or something horrible to ratchet. Um, so she, um, the only living victim we have is Helena and, uh, or well, Scratch all that. I don't know why I'm struggling talking. The count <laughs> says his wife's name, who is a living victim. So that was his victim. Yeah. And it's true. It's true. Like, like a yeah. good husband would do, you know? Yeah. Revenge. <laughs> 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 um, but, but yeah, so in essence, 
They oh, are awesome. None yeah. of them are wearing gloves, which is interesting. They're all kind of like muddling the fingerprints. Oh. Um, also, after it's all said and done, Pierre latches the door from within and they all go out. They'll leave. And uh and yeah, that's all she wrote. So in essence, they're well, all guilty. Or, yeah. They're all guilty. They're, they're all, all guilty. guilty. They all did it. They every, all every, did it. Everyone on the on the train. Everyone on that coach. Train. Yeah. Um one one thing interesting to note here was the whole point of the voice using the French voice to throw off really Pierrot and not Pierre. Um Cassetti couldn't use language, other languages or didn't know other languages. So it was supposed to be as if that voice wasn't ratchet and it was supposed to be the killer's voice. Um, making Pierrot think that the murder happened at 115. Right. However, or earlier. However, it really happened later after Pierrot went to sleep. So that whole thing was actually a big thing to throw off Pierrot. Right, because they were not accounting for having him on the train. I love how, what was the line where um, someone said, like, they weren't accounting for a genius to be on the train. And he's like, I was hoping someone else would say that. Right, I love, I love that line. Yeah. Yeah. I was hoping someone other than myself would say that. <laughs> I also I also love the very subtle acting of Anthony Perkins in the side with his eyes shifting back and forth. I don't know if you caught mm-hmm. that, but excellent. Uh he he just looks so nervous when uh when Perot was detailing just the the breakdown of it all. Yeah. Um it's very so- cool. There's I mean, and it's a lot because you there's not a lot you can do because you're acting with your expressions versus right. your voice. So a lot of acting there with the precipitation. Right. <laughs> I got that word. The response. Right. And so we're all stuck in this car with Perot knowing what really happened. And he basically offers two options. Emma. Yes. One being, um, that they can decide what story they'll go with the police. Um, the first one or the second one. And he notes like that the first one will be uh, much easier to believe. The, the simple solution. The simple the, solution. The stranger, the stranger right. aboard the train. Mm-hmm. Even though it might weigh heavy on his conscience. You know, for not giving the actual accounts. I'm sure the police would appreciate the more simple <laughs> the simple option yeah and i think also just the fact that he was such a bad guy perot didn't mind just you know it's the only case in all of agatha christie's novels where the bad guys get away with it or the murderers get away with it mm-hmm. um which is really interesting and um yeah just really Cool final solution. And then we see Avrian react so differently after they decide to go with the first scenario. The simple um, one. The simple one. Yeah, the simple one. We see relief. We see sadness. We see love. We see a lot of emotion here, which is really, really intense and cool to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then eventually the uh, the snowdrift gets cleared. 
The train is released and the passengers are emotionally released. And the Orient Express is on its way. And I love it. Um, Pierrot has to go off with keeping the secret on his conscience. And then in the train, we see everyone celebrating with champagne with the mother and daughter, the mother and sisters to Sonia at the receiving end. And then the train goes on and everyone is at peace. Oh, and and scene and scene. What a fun movie. Oh, so cool. Love it. Love it. And you know what? It's it's just to me, it's a classic. You've got to check it out twice. Easily twice. Yeah. Um, and, And set the mood, you know, grab some friends. Like if you listen to this before and you're watching it with people who have no idea what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. I can only imagine how much fun that would be. Like, that, I, it would be. I might go back and do that myself. Um, I kind of wish that this had been my first viewing of the story. Yeah. Um, but you know what? The the new version has its merits too. Watch both. Do a comparison and a contrast. Mm-hmm. See what uh, tickles your fancy more. We should watch. We should watch the new one together. I know. I, I haven't seen the one Johnny Depp that I keep referencing. So Let's yeah, do it. Maybe, Let's watch it together. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that together. That'll be a nice little sibling cool. treat. But yes. Okay. Um, closing notes. Um, fantastic job to all the cast. Wow. I mean, they're all stars for a reason. I think this is actually the most featured Oscar-nominated people in one movie, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I think it's, so. There, okay. there was like an insane amount of nods. I, crazy, I remember reading that. Crazy amount. Um, Sidney Lumet. Wow. What a director. I'm such a fan of his. And again, this goes along with um, his theme, his aim in movies to examine your own conscience. And to it's he's really a moralist director. He also directed 12 Angry Men. If you have seen this and you think the two are similar, that's probably why. Um, so again, The whole point of this movie is making, it's really interesting. It lets you think where your morals lie and what you would have done and what you think is right or wrong, Um, which is just very cool. And now the characters have to live with that. Pierrot has to live with that. And we get to live with that too, wondering what's right or wrong in the world. I love it. It speaks on, you know, so many different ways and just society. Love the way that very you said it. Movie. Yeah. Very picture, larger ideas, very philosophical. It's a great one. Thank you guys again so much for joining us on the Old Soul Movie Podcast. Uh, my name is Jack Remus. And I'm Momo Remus. And uh, we had so much fun. Yeah, we hope to see you guys again very soon. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, comment. Tell us how much you love us. We always love hearing about that. Uh, <laughs> you can reach out to me at JBO Remus on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Emma. Until next very time. Good. Until yes. next time. Look forward to some very uh, holiday-esque movies coming Festive up. Festive films to come. Very, very nice. Anyways, have a great rest of your day. Uh, love sharing this time with all of you. And we really, really appreciate it. Yes. Take care. All right. See you later, guys. Bye.